If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Yeah, somebody remembered, amen? Ephesians chapter 4, amen? Thank you. Amen. We're going to create this culture. I told Trey to start it. We're going to create this culture where when we open up the Word, we get excited about the Word. We get excited about that passage. So each week, whether it's me or Dakota, whenever we open up to whatever chapter, I just want to encourage you to rally and get excited. So let's try it one more time. It's okay to make noise in church. Let's open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Amen. Okay, there we go. Amen. Amen. So let me recap last week for you. Last week was a big night for our ministry. We were back after a couple weeks off, and we looked at the first part of Ephesians chapter 4, and we talked about what brings us together. And you'll remember we talked about it's only the Spirit of God that can truly bring us together uh, in any way that lasts. Uh, We talked about how it has to be through obeying our calling, right? We talked about calling last week that we're called to grow God's kingdom and glorify Him, right? We glorify God and we grow God's kingdom. That's our purpose. That's what we're called to do. And uh, tonight... The title of my message, in fact, if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. It's titled, What Tears Us Apart? <clears throat> what, tears us apart what Tears Us Apart? Part two, if you will, to last week. And we're going to advance through Ephesians 4. Um, now, the simple answer for what tears us apart, you know, really, you could say this and you could be done with the whole night. What tears us apart is sin. You cannot get past it. No matter how many ways I try to creatively word it, you know, or or give you these alliterated points or frame it up in a story, at the end of the day, what tears us apart is sin. Jealousy is a sin. Greed, selfishness, racism, these things are sins. These go against God's commands. So when you look at our world, and I know you may be here tonight, God bless you. You may be here tonight and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you're where I was as a 21-year-old. We talked about this last week. You don't have to believe the Bible to see that sin and brokenness exist. We can agree on that. When you look at the world, you see brokenness, you see division, you see broken families. The root of it is sin. It's pride. We all have an ego that we have to fight against. We all want, in our core, people to praise us and to worship us and for us to be the one that they all think so highly of. And we want people's approval and we want them to think well of us. And, And some of it's good, some of it's sin. But at the end of the day, what tears us apart is sin. And what I want you to understand, as an early believer in college, when it comes to sin, I want your mind to really think about this before we dive into what Paul has to say, is that at the end of the day, sin is like a tsunami. I cannot put it to you any clearer. One of the greatest illustrations that I've ever been given from the Lord is that sin is like a tsunami. Has anybody in here, I hope the answer is no, because that'd be terrifying. Has anybody been close like to a tsunami before? Probably like anybody in the room? Yes. How close, like within an hour of where that tsunami was or... But you were in it. That's terrifying. <laughs> My goodness gracious. Uh, how many of you have seen it online? You've seen videos before of tsunamis? They're terrifying. I, I, listen, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Tsunamis are terrifying. And in fact, I did some studying over the last couple of weeks on tsunamis because I wanted to learn more about them. And what's fascinating, hear me out if you will, walk with me. When, Sean, a tsunami hits, do you know the very first thing that causes a tsunami, Elijah? Like the very first step, like what causes an actual tsunami to hit? Because it doesn't, this tidal wave doesn't just form out of nowhere and crash on land and destroy everything. It, it happens when, watch this, an earthquake happens underground. An earthquake happens underneath the ocean where you can't see it. But the plates, there's an earthquake and it rattles the ocean. It rattles the earth. And it's that earthquake underground that you can't see that begins to rattle everything above, above the surface. That's where tsunamis start. 
And I want you to understand, understand scripturally that with sin, sin often starts underground. Sin starts below the surface. Sin starts in you, and it's very, very, very small. It doesn't even have to be a large earthquake to start a tsunami. And you know what? It doesn't have to be this massive sin to start this tidal wave in you. What happens is we let a thought come into our mind that we know is sinful, Mr. Tom, or we let an insecurity develop. We let a lack of trust in God develop. Some pride gets in us. Whatever it is, when sin begins, when we allow sin to get in our hearts and we allow sin to operate in our lives, other people may not see it, but it's like an earthquake that begins to rattle us and shake us. And then what's amazing is the next step of a tsunami, I'm telling you, hear me out. Tsunami has a process, so does sin. And when it comes to tsunamis, the very next thing that happens, I don't know if you've ever seen videos of it. I'll show a picture on the screen. Here it is right here. When you look at a tsunami, the ocean begins to recede back. You ever seen this? It's crazy. The ocean, like where there was the ocean and the beach and people would lay out, the ocean begins to recede back. Like the waves get pulled back. All of a sudden, you can walk where you weren't able to walk a few moments ago. And the ocean is pulled back. Now, I want you to understand, when sin develops in our heart and we don't deal with it, there's a pulling back that happens in our life too. What happens in us is our spiritual disciplines, our joy, Bible reading, prayer, these things that we know are important to us, they begin to be pulled back. They begin to recede when we let sin develop in our heart. And all of a sudden, when you were consistent in Bible reading and you were consistent in prayer, if you let a little sin linger along, those two take a big hit, don't they? Anybody been there? All of a sudden, when you've let this thought into your mind, when you've let your thought into your heart, when you're looking at stuff that's on your phone that you know is a sin and you go try to read the word too, is it not hard? It's amazing when you got that sin in your life and you go try to get in God's word, it's almost like you don't want to go to it because you're ashamed and you're guilty. And you hate that feeling. I hate that feeling. We're all in the same boat. We all got the same problem. And those spiritual disciplines begin to be pulled back. All the things that were important to us, memorizing scripture, community, they begin to get pulled back. We had one student who shared his testimony with us a couple weeks ago who was thriving in community and then some sin developed in his heart. And one of the outcomes of that was his community began to be pulled back too. He, he pulled himself back literally from his Christian community because of the sin that was in his heart. So these spiritual disciplines, they get pulled back. And this, what's amazing is here's the next picture of a tsunami. It never recedes back and then it just disappears and you're good. <laughs> like the water never just disappears and that's the end of it. It always comes back as a tidal wave. It always comes back as this massive thing that was once, remember, underground, a little earthquake that you couldn't see, now comes back as a tidal wave. And when you watch videos on YouTube, you see towns destroyed, you see people hurt, you see lives damaged, all because of this underground shifting that happened and it brings back a tidal wave. What we struggle to understand when it comes to sin is no, pri no matter how private we think sin is, if we don't repent of it and deal with it, it will always come back as a tidal wave. Always. What starts small that we don't deal with rattles us inside. We start to lose spiritual disciplines. We start to lose our joy. We lose what we know is important to us because we're given into that sin. Our fellowship with the Lord is broken. And then it comes back in this massive wave that causes division and disunity and hurt in our lives. So when we understand that a tsunami has a process, we understand that sin in our lives has a process. And Paul, as amazing as he is, as, as he is when he writes to the Ephesians, lays out the process. 
It's almost as if you have a process. Hey, here's how a tsunami happens. He lays out the process of how sin happens, how it starts small, and how it becomes very large when we don't deal with it in Ephesians. And the reason why is because Paul knows when we have sin in our lives, no matter how private we think it is, it's always going to cause division with people in our lives. And what I want you to do, what I, the reason I'm here tonight is to preach the word and to get you to evaluate three things. And I want you to write these down. I want you to evaluate your mind, your heart, and your actions. This is what Paul walks through in verses 17 to 24. He walks through the mind of a non-believer and how that's not to be our mind. He walks through the callous, hard heart of a lost person and how that's not to be our heart. And then he talks about how lost non-believers practice as if I, as in the same way that I practice basketball. I used to. I'm old now. In the same way that we practice sports and we practice studying and we practice medicine, he talks about how non-believers practice sin in their lives. It's an it's a ongoing thing. And we're going to see in Ephesians that this is the process that sin becomes massive in our lives. Now, here's what's amazing. We just prayed for revival in Memphis. But the reason I'm preaching on Ephesians chapter 4, the reason the Lord really led me to this text to talk so much about the mind and the heart and sin is because as your pastor, here's my conviction. No matter how badly we want to go out there and share the gospel with the world, if you are living in sin in this room, you are not gonna be able to go out there and reach the world. I didn't say struggle, I said living in sin. There's some of us in here who want to see revival, but we're living in a sin. It has our mind, it has our heart, it has our actions. We don't know what to do with it. And that's what's stopping you from reaching the 7%. So my prayer is when we really repent and get sin out of our lives and we're walking with the Lord, we're not perfect, but we're walking with the Lord. We're in his word, we're in prayer, we have community. There's not hidden sins in us. When we get that out, all of a sudden when we walk out those doors, our Faith shines the way Moses did when he was with the Lord, and other people will ask you about the gospel. So that's why we're going to dig into this. Now, I have a sermon in a sentence, and I want to give it to you, and it's all my points, so the whole night is laid out for you. Sermon in a sentence is this. An unguarded mind leads to an unloving heart, which leads to uncontrolled flesh, which will always tear us apart. These are the three points. This is what Paul lays out for us, and here we are tonight. An unguarded mind. I know it's heavy, but this is what we need in our culture today. An unguarded mind leads to an unloving heart, which leads to uncontrolled flesh, which will always tear us apart. And when you are tempted, think tsunami. Been doing it for a long time. When you are tempted, remember that small temptation can turn into a tsunami if you don't trust the Lord and repent and deal with it. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Now, last week, we talked all about how Paul is writing this while under house arrest. Paul spent a lot of time alone. He knows the battle of the mind better than anybody. And he's writing to the Ephesians. And in the first three chapters, he lays out this theology. He lays out this doctrine. And in chapter 4, he begins to get even more practical. And this chapter is very practical. This chapter, he's literally going to, in the next few verses, tell us the difference between how a lost person lives and how a believer lives. And then are we any different? Because we have the Spirit of God in us. And so look with me, if you will, at verses 17. 17 of chapter 4. You'll see the process that I just laid out as we read this. You'll see how it starts small and it builds. 
coming off of talking about unity and how there is one body, one baptism, one Christ, Paul says in verse 17, therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live. Remember, when Paul says Gentiles here, he's referring to non-believers. He's describing those who do not know Christ. He says, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live. In the futility, and if you write in your Bible, underline futility, because we're going to come back to that. In the futility of their thoughts. Paul's very starting point here when it comes to living the new life, Dawson, as he talks about the mind, he talks about the thoughts, the futility of their thoughts. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. All of us were lost at one point in this room. I was lost five years ago. Do you remember how hard it was before you were a Christian? Like it's hard as a believer. We're persecuted. We, we face a lot of stuff. It's hard to be spiritually disciplined. I get that. But when you were lost, do you remember how dark your mind was? I remember. I'm going to talk about it tonight. I remember. And some of you are shaking your head. Yes, you remember. When you're lost, there's a darkness and there's a lack of understanding. That lack of understanding he's talking about is an understanding of your purpose, who you are, your identity. When I was lost, I had no clue who I was and what I was supposed to do. And I would put it, my purpose, my identity, in whatever I thought could fulfill me that day. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, when you don't know Christ, you don't have the light in your mind. You can't know your purpose and your identity because you don't know the one who gives you your purpose and your identity. The only way to know who you are and to know what you're supposed to do is to know who Jesus is and know what he did. And when you know him and you know what he did for you, all of a sudden your identity and your purpose come with it. It's amazing. He talks about this. And I'm gonna challenge you to think about when you were lost. And even if you were saved at a young age, think back. You'll remember. The Lord will bring it to your heart. We're going to talk about that tonight. He says they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. If you write in your Bible, write their hardness. Underline that, the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Right there, let's keep that on the screen. That's the negative, that's the darkness. You think about lost souls, think about where you were. This is what it's like to be lost. But then Paul makes a turn. In verse 20, I love it because Paul makes a turn and he speaks to you and me as believers in the room. He says this in verse 20, but that that is not how you came to know Christ. Look at this for a minute. Paul says, that's not how you came to know Christ. He says, when you look at the lost world and how they live, he says, if you're a believer and you choose to live that way, you didn't learn that from Jesus Christ. Don't act like you did. Isn't that amazing? That when we get saved, when we come to know Jesus Christ, we're supposed to live like Jesus. But as believers, if we don't live like Jesus, the world looks at us and thinks that we learned that from Jesus. It's a false representation of the life of Jesus. A light, a city set on a hill, that can't be covered up, that means living like Jesus and letting his light shine through. So Paul says, when you choose to love the things that the lost world loves, just remember, you didn't learn that from Jesus Christ. He's propping the Lord up. He goes on to say, I love this, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So we'll stay right here for a minute and just pick this apart. A lot of us in here got saved at an early age. A lot of us in here have the benefit 
that we have been studying the Bible for years. We have parents who know Jesus. We went to VBS and camp and Beach Week and middle school camp and fourth and fifth grade camp. And, and some of us in the room, not all of us, but some of us in the room have been doing the Christian life for a very long time. Paul's saying that you have been taught, you have learned, so why would you live like the world when you have this foundation? So for anybody in here, that's a great exhortation. For anybody in here who has had the blessing of being taught for years what it means to follow Christ and still you choose not to, what's your excuse? And man, I say that in the most loving way possible because if I, I could have got saved earlier, I would have. That's my biggest regret is that I didn't get saved earlier. If you got saved before you ever stepped foot in college, why are you not living it out? Why? Tonight's heavy. That's where the Lord's taking us. And then Paul goes on to say, I love this. He says, you were taught in Jesus, verse 22, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen. Aren't you glad that when you come to know Jesus, the old has died and the new has come? Amen. Isn't that amazing? Paul says it. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what we just celebrated with those baptisms. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He says, you, in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Goes right back to the mind. And then he says, and put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we give tonight to you. And Lord, we want to hear from you so desperately. God, thank you that you would save someone like me, someone who did not have anything going in his life in high school. I was nobody, Lord, and you chose. You raised me up. You saved me. You've given me a testimony, Lord, and it's all for your glory because I was a nobody. But I met Jesus. And so, Lord, I thank you that you saved me. And God, I thank you that you have saved many in this room and that they were nobodies, but since they know Jesus now, they are somebody in Christ. But God, I pray for anybody in here, anybody who doesn't know you, save them tonight. God, I pray that you would impress on their hearts and call them to you. And God, I pray for anyone in here that they'd be bold enough to repent of their sins and to believe in you as their savior. Father, I pray for anyone who knows it's time for baptism that hasn't been baptized. Would you impress that on their hearts? And God, I pray that you would supernaturally bind us as a family. Lord, speak to us now. We need you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So number one, an unguarded mind. <clears throat> the very first thing that tears us apart, we see it laid out, is number one, an unguarded mind. Uh, if I can be honest with you, there's people in here who are losing their mind. <laughs> that sounds crazy, right? I don't mean going crazy. I don't mean you're going crazy, right? You hear losing your mind. You think, you know, going cuckoo and uh, banging your head against the wall. I don't mean you're going crazy. But there's some people in here who are losing the fight for their mind. And maybe you realize that maybe you don't. But the battle of the mind is real. Let me get serious with you. Most spiritual warfare that I have experienced personally has been attacks on my mind. And I bet you're not alone. I bet I'm not alone. I bet you've been there. Fiery darts that Paul describes, I believe that's the enemy launching thoughts at us because you will never spend more time with somebody than your own thoughts. Your thoughts are with you when you fall asleep. I couldn't sleep last night, tossing and turning. Nervous for my wife. It was the first day teaching today. Tossing and turning. 
And your thoughts are always with you. And so if the enemy can get your thoughts, what can he not get at you? And so some of us are living like an airport with no security. Anything gets through to the plane. If we had no security in the airports, it would be chaos. We would have planes crashing, planes being hijacked all the time. And what I want you to understand is for a lot of you, that's your mind. Your mind is an open airport with no security. You let any thoughts come in at any time and any feelings and anything that wants to wander around in here, you let it. And Paul spent so much time alone. He traveled, he was in prison, he was under house arrest. Paul spent time alone. He speaks about the mind a lot. He understands the battle of the mind. So when he says here about unbelievers, you underline futility. When he says futility of their thoughts, the definition of futility is pointlessness. The literal definition of futility, Matthew, is pointlessness, which means what he's saying is, and this might be harsh to some, but it's what Scripture says. And this is not Daniel's opinions. This is whatever the Bible says. Paul says that lost people who don't know Jesus, their thinking is pointless. Don't be mad at me. Be mad at the Bible. That's where I got to get mad at because I remember being 21 years old and I was like, my thinking is not purposeless. You know, I was like, I have a purpose. And somebody asked me, what is it? I'm like, well, it changes by the week, you know? (laughs) Pointlessness. He says that when you don't know Christ, the mind of a Gentile, the mind of a non-believer is pointless. There's no literal like aim or purpose to their mind. And the reason why is, think about his other commission to us. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul tells us that the mind has to be, here it is, here's Paul's words, Colossians 3, 2. He commissions believers to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So for non-believers who don't know Jesus, understand this, all their mind is ever set on is earthly things. All their mind ever thinks about is earthly things. When you were lost, all your mind ever focused on was the things of the flesh. In fact, Paul in Romans tells us to set the mind on the spirit of God and not on your flesh. Newsflash. Non-believers do not set their mind on anything except the flesh. It's pointless thinking. It's aimless thinking. And I was there as a 21-year-old college student. My mind was always set on the flesh. If you don't believe me still, if you're mad, Paul talks about it in Romans 8. He says right here, verses 6 to 9. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Here it is. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So all of us were lost at one point. I know you were lost. I'm looking around the room. I know so many testimonies of when you were lost. Think back to what your thinking was like when you were lost. Have you ever done that? Here's the hardest question I can ask you of the night. Is your thinking now any different than when you were lost? That hurts, man. That hurts me because I, five years after I got saved, went to the park I got saved at, was writing out my prayer journal, and I had to come to a hard realization. The hard realization for me one night, this was just a couple months ago, I realized There are thoughts I still struggle with that I struggled with before I got saved because I haven't dealt with them in Christ. That's a hard realization. Let me tell you something. If you think like the preaching at the view is tough, when you get out there alone with God and ask him to reveal to you where you have truly not submitted to him, that's tough. (laughs) That's tough, bro. And I was like, God, I don't know if I'm going to come back out here and ask for this again. (laughs) It's like, this is tough. But is your thinking any different than when you were lost? Paul says it's supposed to be that your mind should be set on the spirit. Your mind should be set on scripture. Your mind should be literally transformed. 
But when I was lost, I can verify, I can tell you as a testimony that my thinking was pointless. My thinking was on the flesh. Every ounce of success and money and girls and fame and all these things, people's opinions of me, I would put my purpose and my identity in them and it would change by the day. Whatever fulfilled me that week, that's where my identity was. Whatever didn't fulfill me, I would switch it to something else. And that's not how you're called to live. For non-believers who don't know Jesus, they don't have a choice yet because they don't know their creator. But for you as a believer, you have the blessing to set your mind on the spirit, which means you know who you are and you know who Jesus is. Which means your thinking should be changed. Your thinking should be different. But even right now, as we think in the room, I know that there are those in here who can feel the battle of their mind. Because Paul essentially says that sadly, many Christians are still living with the mind of a non-believer. That's why he's given this exhortation. Because when you look at the world, when lost people get around you and they realize that your thinking really isn't different than their thinking, why would they ever want to become a Christian? And that's just real. I'm telling you how I thought as a 20-year-old. All I can do is give you my testimony, man. As a 20-year-old, when I got around Christians and they didn't seem any different than I did as a lost person, Cole Greg, I was like, well, not going to go that direction. So is your thinking different? Do you think about heavenly things? Does your mind wonder and ponder the mystery that is Jesus Christ and the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ? Or is it all school, video games, what people think of you, sin? And we hadn't even talked about the hardest of them. There's believers who have been set free from sin but still allow their minds to dwell on sin. And I pray that you'll experience freedom. I do. I pray that your mind will be transformed because many of us claim to love the word of God but we rarely memorize it if we're honest. I know you can. (laughs) Like I have conversations with college students every week. I see what you memorize. You got so many song lyrics memorized. I've never seen a generation that has so many song lyrics memorized. I see you work at restaurants. I come in, you serve me. You know the whole menu front and back. I'm like, hey, how many sides I get? Oh, you get two and you get a list of uh, 24 options. And you get all the rolls you want and all this stuff. And, and Daniel, a pastor, whoever it is talking to me, they're like, oh, you know, if you do this, you can get a discount. And, and uh, salad, what kind of salad you want? There's like four different toppings and all these different kind of things. And, and you have so much memorized in your brain. I've seen you memorize. 50 PowerPoint slides when you have an exam coming up. (laughs) I've seen you cram overnight. I've seen college students go from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. memorizing PowerPoint slides and go ace the exam. I know you can do it. Here's the thing. We don't lack the ability. We lack the desire. We don't lack the ability. It's that we're stuck in apathy. We just don't care enough about the word of God to simply memorize it. It's just not a priority. Many of us claim as believers to love prayer, but our mind really doesn't pray that much. If we're honest, we think about prayer, we talk about prayer, but we don't pray that much. I'm the first one in the boat with you. For a lot of college students, I counsel you. I have conversations with you. I dig into the trenches with you. And what I realized very quickly is that you allow your mind, and this is just as real as I can get, you allow your mind to bow down to hypothetical scenarios that may never happen instead of simply praying and giving it to the Lord. God bless you. You can spend eight hours going over hypothetical scenarios or you can pray and give it to God and experience the peace that surpasses all human understanding. The other one I wrote down was, (laughs) when it comes to dying to self, we know that scripture calls us to die to ourselves, but to be honest, 
we think about us so much. I had a conversation with a person a couple weeks ago and every single one of their sentences started with I, 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 I. Well, I and I, and I was like, man, do you have anybody else in your life? Like, is there anybody else you talk about? Because, and some of us, we're guilty of that. I have been because we're so selfish. Everything revolves around us to the point where we get dizzy because we think it's all spinning around us. One thing I wrote down in my notes is this, a mind that is self-centered will never lead to a life that is Christ-centered. It won't happen. If you're living with a mind that revolves around you, your life is not going to revolve around Christ because it's a process to sanctification. It's a process to becoming like Jesus. It takes a focus of the mind. It takes the spirit transforming your mind. I believe in Romans 12 just as much as you do. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I love it. You know it. Paul says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In other words... You will not see the transformations in your life until you allow the Spirit to give you a transformation of your mind. All these things you're praying for, all these things you want, these transformations in your life, it comes first from a transformation of your mind. Do you have any defense system set up when it comes to your mind? Do you have any defense system? Because we take extreme measures to protect ourselves physically. We have alarms on our cars. We have alarms on our houses. We have master locks and key locks on our door. We have passcodes on our iPhone. We have two-step verification codes set up on our social media accounts to make sure nobody hacks our social media accounts. I have seen college students freak out when somebody takes their phone. Freak out. If it's unlocked and somebody takes it. Why? Because a lot of us are terrified at somebody looking through our phone. In fact, the idea of somebody looking through your phone terrifies you. I have seen college students defend their phone more than they defend their thoughts. We have all these defense systems set up physically, but we don't have any set up in our mind. Can I tell you something? Please. And this is the most Gen Z millennial thing you could ever say. Stop valuing the protection of a device more than you value the protection of your mind. It's time to stop. If somebody can't look through this, that's a problem, first off. But we let any thoughts walk around our mind. We wouldn't let anybody walk through our house when we're not there. But we let thoughts run rampant through our mind. You need a protection of your mind. I cannot stress it enough. You need somebody in your life that's willing to ask you, hey, how's your thought life? Will, what's going on up here? How are you loving your friends? How are you thinking? What are you looking at on your phone? What is getting into your mind? If you don't have accountability, you will always lack ministry ability. Always. I got to keep going. I got to keep moving. The last thing for the mind I wrote down is this very briefly. A guarded mind is a mind that's focused on Scripture and the Spirit of God. Here's our defense system. I almost forgot about this, but the Lord is good. Practically, to give you an action step of how to guard your mind, it's setting your mind on Scripture and setting your mind on the Spirit of God. When you do that, you'll be amazed at the defense that the Lord has over your mind. There's an anointing that comes over your head that protects your mind from thoughts. But not just the mind. Look with me at number two, moving along here. In verse 18, it says that they are, speaking of the Gentiles, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Verse 19, they became callous and gave themselves over to the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Uh, Number two, an unloving heart. I see a lot of you taking notes tonight. I, I am very encouraged by that. I pray that these do help you throughout the week. 
I want you to know I pray over these sermons. I pray that, man, <laughs> that these sermons go with you throughout the week. I promise you that. You can ask my wife. I pray that these sermons impact your week, that it's not just something, boom, I got something on Monday night, but that this will be something you can think about and hold on to and be encouraged by all throughout your week because I know temptations are rampant. I know it's crazy. But not just an unguarded mind, but number two, an unloving heart. Now, one thing Paul's saying here, Paul is saying essentially, when he talks about the hardness of heart, he goes from the mind to the heart. Paul's painting this image, hear me out for a minute, that whatever is in your mind not given to God will turn into an idol. In fact, ungodly thoughts in your mind lead to ungodly idols in your heart. That tsunami we talked about, that process that sin happens, here's how it begins. Ungodly thoughts turn into ungodly idols because what you set your mind on is what you will worship. See, we don't understand that as college students. We think that we can worship God in our heart but not worship him with our mind. Hear me, what your mind is set on is what your heart will worship. And that's how I was as a college student. I realized my mind was thinking all about video games all the, all the time. Like literally every single day, I was just wanting to get out of college classes, go home and play video games. And I realized, you know what? My mind is set on video games. My heart is worshiping video games. It becomes an idol in your life. Replace that with pornography. Replace that with pride. Replace that with basketball. Friend groups. Whatever your mind is most set on is what your heart will worship. Your heart will build an idol to it. Moses goes up on the mountain. The Israelites get impatient. Their minds start setting on, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They go to Aaron. Hey, we need a new God. (laughs) Aaron says, well... Bring me your gold. They throw it all in. Golden calf comes out. They begin worshiping this golden calf. And Moses comes down the mountain. He sees what happens. He gets frustrated. He gets angry. And do you remember Aaron's response when Moses saw the idol that they had built and started worshiping? Aaron, first off, blames the people. He tells Moses, he's like, man, you know these people are a little crazy. (laughs) Like Moses didn't, like Aaron didn't throw it in there and build the golden calf. He's like, man, you know these people are a little crazy. And then Aaron goes even further. He's like, Man, we just threw some stuff in there. I didn't know what was going to happen. A golden calf came out. (laughs) And they start worshiping it. They start bowing down to it. They say that, oh, this is the God that took us through the Red Sea. And let me say something. We laugh at worshiping a golden calf. Our idols just aren't statues anymore. They're in here. And they're on here. Worshiping a golden calf sounds hilarious in our culture, but you got to understand, worshiping your social media platform is the same idol. Worshiping what people think of you is an idol. Worshiping sex before marriage is sin, and it's an idol. Anything that you worship in your heart is an idol if it's not the Lord. And I want you to understand this process because college students struggle to get it. They struggle. If somebody asks me, where do college students struggle the most, it's this. They think they can worship God with their heart but not with their mind. Mm -mm. You worship God in your heart because you know him in your mind. First Chronicles 28, 9, the Lord brought it to my heart. You, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. He, David says that to Solomon. He says, you worship him with a willing mind and a whole heart because what you know in your mind is what you will worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when your mind, I got to move on, but I want you to get this. What you set your mind on, if it's not bowing down to the Lord, your heart will begin to make it an idol in your life. I can't get any clearer than that. That's what Paul is saying. He says that the mind of a Gentile is set on the world and they worship the world in their heart. And then he says callous. He describes a hard heart. Have you ever seen a callous on somebody's hand or foot before? 
You ever had one, PJ? You ever had a callus on your head? They're nasty, ain't they? I love Dakota. <laughs> I love Dakota Tucker, man. Anybody else love Dakota? Amen. Amen. I love Dakota. I love Skylar. I love Jasmine, but Skylar and Jasmine don't ever have cal- calluses. <laughs> I was in a prayer circle one time with Dakota. <laughs> and we were standing there in a prayer circle. And I was like, all right, guys, let's join hands. And Dakota was next to me. I said, hey, man. Put out my hand. This man grabbed my hand. <laughs> Bro, I shrieked. I said, oh. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, what you got on your hand, man? Is that a scab? I was like, what's, what's on your hand, man? Like a reptile just grabbed my hand. I'm like, that ain't Godzilla. I was like, what in the world? Just showed me his hand. He had his calluses on his hands, right? It's a good problem to have because it's, it's great. <laughs> Oh, snap. Oh, man, we love Dakota in here. Calluses. It's gross. I didn't say anything at the time, but I've said it tonight so he knows. He knows. I looked at his hand. I said, man. Of course, he, you know, gets that from benching 375. I mean, so it's a good problem to have. He's going to get 405 in December. Be ready for that. We're going to do it on the stage. <laughs> Can you imagine? The whole view crowd that goes going to do 405 all for the gospel. Do a, a fundraising that night. If he gets it, giving money away to charity. We're not, at, just for clarity, we're not doing that. <laughs> just for clarity, because I'll get an email. We are not bringing Dakota up here and raising money for him to do weights. That is a joke. Okay? Just make sure I say that. We are not doing that. <laughs> Look at the camera. There's people at home like, oh, thank goodness, you know. But I grabbed his hand, I looked at the calluses, I said, man, those are rough, those are tough. And, and what happens is, he practices those weights, he gets those hands on those bars, he lifts those weights, and what was that skin right here that's soft and sensitive, it, it turns hard, it turns rough, it turns rigid, and it shows what he's been practicing. And I want you to understand, that imagery is what Paul says, the heart of a non-believer is, it's callous. It's rough, it's rigid, and the reason why is because just as Dakota practices bench pressing and lifting those weights and, 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 and that bar, lost souls, non-believers are actively practicing sin. I was there. And when you practice sin, it's going to make your heart callous and rigid and rough. That's what Paul says. And I was just there five years ago. The heart of a non-believer is rough. It's rigid. And what Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian is, his exhortation to us is, hey, guess what? That's not your heart anymore, Cody. Fernando, that's not your heart anymore. Jordan, that's not your heart anymore. Paul's exhortation is your heart was callous when you were lost. It was hard. It was hard. It was, it was, it was painful. It was rigid. And he says, guess what? Because of Christ, he removed that heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. He's given you a soft heart. In fact, Ezekiel talks about it in chapter 36, verse 26 to 27. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Here it is. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe observe my ordinances. When you come to know Christ, he removes that rough, rigid heart and gives you a soft, sensitive heart. Paul's exhortation is, if believers, and it's a few verses away, but when believers, hear me. When believers choose to practice sin, our hearts can get hardened too. 
there's a difference between struggling with sin and practicing sin, living in sin, non-repentant over sin. And some believers, some of us in here are here, are there tonight. There is a sin that we've just kind of accepted defeat. And we just kind of say, you know what? This is probably a part of my life. This is probably a part of me. I don't know if I can ever deal with it. Maybe if I can keep it hidden long enough, I'm good. And what you don't realize is that's turning your heart hard. And Paul says, that's not how it's supposed to be. Take off the old, put on the new. You are to have a soft heart, a heart that cries at the movement of the Lord, a heart that worships the Lord, a heart that is humble. That's the heart of a believer in Christ, not a hard heart. So let me tell you something, believers. I'm gonna get too off here, but I'm speaking to believers. If you don't know Jesus, You don't have that new heart yet. He hasn't put that new heart in you yet. I expect nothing different from you. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to live like the world. I don't expect you to live like Christ. You're going to live like the world. But for those of us who are believers, there's a sarcasm. There's a arrogance, especially in the South, that a lot of believers live with. And I've been guilty of it too. There's a pride that a lot of believers live with in the South. There's a, I've got it all figured out. I've got all the answers. I'm good enough mindset that a lot of believers live with in the South. Let me tell you something. That is not of the Lord. It's not. And I don't know who I'm speaking to tonight, but I know it's to somebody. I know the Lord is. If you got a hard heart or a sarcastic attitude or bitterness, or if you talk bad about the church, I don't care how wrong you've been by the church. I've been there too. But if you talk bad about God's holy church, You are not walking with the Lord. If you talk bad about other believers and other people who are made in God's image too, you are not walking with the Lord on that. If everything, if baptism is a joke to you, if giving an invitation is a joke to you, if prayer is a joke to you, if Bible reading and and memorizing scripture is a joke to you, you're not walking with the Lord. If discipleship is a joke to you, you're not walking with the Lord. If sharing the gospel is a joke to you, you're not walking with the Lord. That is not of the Lord. That is of the world but I see it. I see it. I see it in believers here in the South. I see it in college students. They let the the world and they let people around them give them a hard heart and they develop this sarcastic attitude where they complain all the time. Philippians 2.14, do nothing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I see believers that complain and complain and complain. I've been there myself. I do it all the time. Complaining is not of the Lord. Not a single ounce of this is in my notes. I don't know who this is for, but hear me. I believe that this is a warning from the Lord for me and for you. If you are living with a prideful, cocky, arrogant attitude, you're not living with the heart of Jesus Christ. And it's time to lay it down. Because if we want to reach the 7% of Memphis, when they come in this place and see an arrogant attitude that makes fun of baptism, that makes fun of the word that, that talks bad about the church, that talks bad about other believers, that talks bad about the church up the road, when they come in and see that, they might not even make it through the sermon before they get up and leave. We will not reach the 7% if our hearts are not in a humble place before the Lord. I'm telling you from somebody who's been there. There's always somebody to blame. There's always a church to blame. There's always a pastor who's not good enough that ain't called you back and ain't texted you back. There's always a church staff member. There's always a leader at the view that's not good enough. Let me tell you something. We're called to hold each other accountable, but goodness gracious, complaining is not of the Lord. Gossip is not of the Lord. When we go out there to reach the 7%, we have to go out there with a humble, broken before the Lord attitude. And when we do that, when we humble ourselves, when we pray, you will see people get saved who will never, you never thought would get saved. 
we will see people at Rhodes, at U of M, at CBU, at Southwest, and all across the city repenting of sin and coming to know Jesus because we have chosen to faithfully walk with the Lord. And when they look at us, they see something different from the world, and they'll want it. They'll want it. That's how we reach the 7%. Not by going to the interstate with a sign that says turn or burn. (laughs) It's bad evangelism. (laughs) We do it by us living in love with Jesus Christ. They see it, they hear it, they want it. So I don't know where you are. Lord may be calling me and you to lay something down right now. A haughty attitude, pride, ego, whatever it is, I don't know. I don't need to know. You want to talk to me, that's fine. But you don't have to. You need to talk to somebody, though. But if God is calling you to lay something down, whatever it is, I promise you the best decision you can ever make is laying it down. Lay it down. God is near to the brokenhearted and the humble. It's the tiniest acts of love that impact you the most, isn't it? Some college students brought us some drinks today. Jasmine Scholar got coffee, but I got Diet Coke, of course. Poured it into a coffee cup. The tiniest acts of love make a difference in your life, don't they? Even when somebody wrongs you to have a spirit that's like, you know what, I'm going to love them anyway. People see that and they are changed by that. For me, uh, me and Hannah celebrated her birthday this past weekend. And uh, she turned 25. It's not Jordan or Kobe year. I don't know what 25 is. So if there's any pro player that wears number 25, let me know. We'll start calling that her year. <clears throat> we celebrated her birthday, and uh, we went and played Lasertron. And, of course, my pack didn't work. <laughs> I was like, of course. It's like I've been wanting to play Lasertron for so long. I'm standing off to the side. My pack won't work. I'm, like, beating it, like, please work, you know. I like gone to the worker four times, like, man, can you please help me out? And of course, Ian was like, no, I can't, you know? <laughs> and uh, we were opening gifts at home, some gifts and some college students got her. And Kate got her a gift that had a bag in it, had a bunch of different gifts in it. It was so sweet, some really nice gifts. And Hannah was pulling them out and going through them. And then she pulls out one gift. And you remember this, Kate? It was a bass scratcher. You remember that? Yeah. That was you, right, Kate? Just making sure. Yes, it was. How many of y'all love getting your back scratched? Amen? Listen. When you're married, that's one of the greatest joys in life is having your back scratched. I'll tell you what, Mr. Tom knows what's up. She pulls out this back scratcher. And I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. My first thought, this is bad, but I was like, dang it. <laughs> I was like, now Hannah's going to want me to scratch her back for the next hour. <laughs> I was like, Kate, what have you done? <laughs> and I was convicted because of what happened next. And Hannah doesn't even know this because she hasn't read the sermon. But she doesn't say that. She doesn't say, Daniel, come scratch my back. She literally, this is what happens. I'll never forget this moment. You're going to hear this illustration. Be like, that's so small. She pulls the back scratcher out. and She goes, oh, Daniel, look. And, you know, I look over. And I'm like, oh, man, I do my spill. I'm like, dang it, Kate. You know? And this is what she says. She says, Daniel, I can use this to scratch your back. I was convicted. <laughs> <laughs> I went straight to the prayer closet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, all that prideful, bad attitude stuff was for me in here tonight. Amen. I'm the first, I'm the worst one. I'll tell you that. I'm the most prideful of all. She said that, man, and and I was just shook. On her birthday, 
She opens her gift and her immediate response is how she can use it to benefit me. What? Can you imagine if Christians lived our entire lives that way? But hang with me for a minute because it wasn't a scratch my back and I'll scratch yours situation. Like, hear me. She did not say, hey, Daniel, I'll scratch your back and then return it with, if you scratch mine. She just said, I'll scratch your back. I gotta tell you something. A lot of Christians live with the standard of, if you show me the love of Christ, then I'll show you the love of Christ. You do realize that's not actually the love of Christ, (laughs) right? Because if you only love people who love you back, Jesus prayed and loved and died for sinners who hated him. Jesus went to the cross and died for you even when you hated him. He died for those who were ripping the skin off his back. And, and this small act that she did, in fact, if you don't believe me, Romans 5, 8 says, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Matthew, it says on the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So loving those who love you is a good start, but loving those who talk bad about you is closely being like Jesus Christ. Hear me. Hannah's response was, Daniel, I'll use what I've been given for you. And this tiny act made me think of Jesus Christ. I hadn't even told her this yet. Something so small, a back scratcher. And I sat there and I thought about the back of Jesus Christ when the skin was being torn off. Isn't it crazy how the Lord can take one small act of love and point your entire mind to the gospel? You don't have to go buy somebody a new car to share the gospel with them. Sometimes you just have to say, hello, what's your name? But we think we have to buy somebody a house to share Jesus with them. My mind instantly went to Jesus Christ and I thought about how he was falsely accused, he was persecuted, he was arrested, and then they beat him. They physically tortured your Messiah and my Messiah. What they used, the cord that they used on his back, each time that it would hit his back, you know this, would tear the skin off his back. And as I looked at that back scratcher, I thought of the back of Jesus. I thought of how when he was having the skin literally torn off of his back, he was thinking about you and me. And he loved us so much that he went to die on a cross for the sins of the world. And then resurrected from the grave three days later. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Believers, do you know? Do you really know? Do you know so much that Jesus loves you that it's changing your heart and it's changing your actions? Do you know? For those in the room who don't know Jesus Christ, who are not, and you would just tell me, you say, Daniel, I'm gonna be straight up with you. I came tonight for whatever reason, but I don't believe in Jesus. Let me just tell you, do you know how much Jesus loved you? Because he died and was tortured and was beaten and took the sins of the world on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you. Do you know him tonight? Because if you do, if you're a believer, it's time to take off the old. When you get saved, Christ gives you a new wardrobe. It's time to wear it. (laughs) It's time to take off the old and put on the new. But for those of you who don't know Jesus, have you ever in your life gotten to the point where you're willing to repent and give your life to him? Because if you're ready tonight, I'm ready to lead you in that. You can look right here at me. If you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm not gonna make you, but I would love to lead you and our leaders would love to lead you in questions that you have and in surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. If you're ready, I'm here, we're here. The Lord's ready. The Lord has been chasing after you for a long time. The Lord and his love has been pursuing after you for a very long time. 
before we go into that, though, the last thing I'll give you, number three, an uncontrolled flesh. An uncontrolled flesh. Verse 20 says, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Verse 22, take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by evil desires and be renewed in the spirits of your mind. What I want to do to end here is something that I don't usually do, but I want to give you prayerful reflection questions. I'd love for you to write this down. The band's going to make their way back up, but I want you to keep your paper out. And the prayerful reflection, here it is on the screen. We're going to do one question at a time. I want to give you the first one. What area of your life have you not given the Lord control of? You can write these questions down. I ask you to pray over these. I ask you to think about them right now. Don't just take it home, but right now. We have talked about the mind, the heart, and our actions. What area of your life have you not given the Lord control of? Number two, maybe even harder. Is there a certain sin or stronghold you need to repent of? And if you don't know, sometimes I don't know, man. Look, I'm in the same boat with you. I didn't know I needed to repent of that prideful attitude with Hannah until the Lord impressed me on my heart by her selflessness. <laughs> but ask God right now, God, is there any sin or stronghold in my life that you want me to repent of? He'll tell you. He'll tell you. I don't have, this isn't my job. This is the Lord's work in you. Ask him. It's tough, ain't it? Hey, listen, this ain't easy. But when you start prayerfully asking these questions, it changes your life. <laughs> the Lord renews your mind. Have you ever asked the Lord a question about your life and he answered it and it just radically transformed your life? You ever been there? I've been there a number of times. The next one is, is there a fear, worry, or insecurity you need to trust God with? Just ask him, anything at all? I make no assumptions. I don't know. It's not my job to know. I know these in me. I know the strongholds. I know the fears in my life. I know that I'm in the same boat with you. I'm no different. I have zero special access to God than you have. We both have the same access to the Lord. Same access. The next question is, is there an idol in your heart that you need to tear down? Tonight we talked about idols. We talked about the heart of a believer and how whatever rules our mind, we worship in our heart. Are there any idols in your heart that you need to tear down? Any old ways that need to be let go of? And then the last one, who in your life is God calling you to share the gospel with, to apologize to, to show the love of Christ to? Hannah has, showed, has shown me the love of Jesus more than any other person in my life. And it's not because she bought me a new car. It's not because she bought me a house. It's because of tiny acts like that back scratcher. I will remember that for the rest of my life. I'll be 80 years old telling my great grandkids, hey, let me tell you about your grandma, how selfless she is. She scratched my back once. But that small thing led my mind to the gospel. Hear me tonight, college students. The smallest act of love that you show someone through the power of the Holy Spirit can point them 
to a bloody cross and an empty tomb. And God will do the rest of the work.